to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we'll be joined by Cedric McLeod, Heather Watson and Adam Steves to discuss farm management in Canada and understanding how the farm is managed as a business. Cedric grew up in Carleton County, New Brunswick, working in the family concrete construction business, developing an early love for agriculture with many construction jobs being in the agricultural field. He has a BSc degree from the Nova Scotia Agricultural College and a Master of Science from the University of Manitoba. Cedric is the president of McLeod Agronomics, an advisory firm to support innovation and production advancements for Canadian farmers. He also manages 300 acres of pasture, forage, and cash crops and produces grass-finished beef for a direct market to local customers. Heather has served as the executive director for the Farm Management Canada for the past 12 years, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing the awareness and adoption of beneficial business management practice on Canada's farms. Heather is passionate about education and is committed to enhancing efforts to encourage better business management practice for a sustainable and truly remarkable agricultural industry in Canada. She serves as the Canadian representative in the International Farm Management Association Council. Heather obtained her bachelor's from the University of Guelph and went on to obtain her master's degree from the University of Warwick in the United Kingdom. Heather grew up in southwestern Ontario and now lives in Ottawa. Adam is a 25-year-old first-generation farmer. Adam farms 240 acres of mixed annual and perennial forages, and his primary focus is growing his flock of Rito yos that he manages in an accelerated landing schedule. Welcome, Heather, Adam, and welcome back, Cedric. Oh, thanks so much for having us, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Brad. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll start a little bit with you, Heather. And why is farm management and farm management decision-making an important thing that you're focused on in, in your life, your career, and what you do with Farm Management Canada? Yeah, great question. I definitely didn't kind of start my life thinking that I would end up working in agriculture, although it's always fascinated me. But yeah, after graduating university, um, I started working at the local Campbellville College in business development and really started looking into the farm business management side of things. And that's what got me interested because there's just so much potential. Like I just see it as this untapped opportunity that can just change everything. And, and I guess for me personally, when I started at Farm Management Canada, we kind of started from scratch at that time back in 2009 and we needed you know, we needed to rejig things. We needed a new business plan. We needed new staff, et cetera. And so it was kind of through that lived and breathed experience of how business management practices can really help provide a foundation for launching into something exciting and something everyone can get excited about that really drove it home to me. And I was like, okay, well, if it's this good for a little nonprofit like us, then, you know, it really got me thinking about the potential for farming and how it can add just such, yeah, such an incredible opportunity to look at your farm in, in a different way and realize success in a different way. Adam, how about you? 
for me, the, the farm management side, at the end of the day, I, I want to be successful and make sure my farm can progress and grow and meet the goals I've set out for it. And so from day one, it was important to make sure I was keeping track of, especially on my sheep side, of my performance and make sure that I was putting feed into the right mouths and trying to maximize what I was producing with what I had to uh, accelerate my growth and, and make sure that I was I was getting to where I wanted to be. And I guess that's really where my management and, and outlook started from was just that animal performance and kind of growing into the rest of the farm or trying to grow into the rest of the farm. And Cedric, how about you? You see this from a couple of different angles as a producer, as a consultant. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And I guess really where it started for me was, you know, being classically trained as, as an agronomist, as, as a soil scientist, and, and focusing primarily on, you know, working with growers to improve their agronomy programs. When I started my practice and started going on one-on-one with growers, I realized that it's never just about agronomy. And while we were making these great plans on what to do in the field, we weren't in those early days focusing enough on, on the financial implications, you know, the, the business case for doing the right thing. And so I realized that if I didn't change the way I was approaching agronomy and add that business lens, then I, I wasn't going to be able to either be successful in my career or achieve my goals of, of supporting my clients be better at the farm. And I guess the second level was, uh, which really brought me into Heather's world, was working through the Young Farmer networks and and really looking at you know long-term planning and, and the importance of intergenerational transfer of the farm. And it became evident very, very quickly that if we didn't do the planning work, if we didn't follow the numbers, that when it came time to move that farm to the next generation, it was just infinitely more difficult to see it through. And the chances of failure were so much greater. So I really bundled that agronomy and, and kind of the business planning and the intergenerational transfer all together to form up uh, the focus of my business today. So one of the things I'd like to start our discussion with a little bit today, and, and I might actually start with you, Adam, is, you know, how have we seen the approach to farm management change over the past decade or so? You know, and Adam, you know, whether or not there is that generational difference, like Cedric just mentioned, you know, what, what do you see in how do you manage your farm differently than maybe how the farm is managed previously to you? Yeah, well, I guess I can't speak on 10 years. I've only really been personally involved, like uh, invested in, in my farm for four years. So I'm first generation. I, I didn't have anything to take over. So I kind of made my own path, I guess. I, I jumped kind of right into maybe being a little tech, more technical in some. I, I run a, a pretty advanced sheep software and for all my sheep data management and I imagine that's a big change from 10 years ago on the performance record side of it you know when we can use these Genovas programs and I sometimes struggle with the sitting down and doing the management I can't imagine sitting down and flipping through scribblers uh, I don't think I would have been able to keep the records I keep now if that was the way I was doing it I don't know that's kind of a hard question for me to answer because I don't have anything else to, to go against Heather, have you seen any changes to the to the approach of farm management? This is obviously what Farm Management Canada focuses on is folks ad- adopting those changes in practices. What what have you seen? Yeah, so I, I kind of want to take you back about 25 years ago or so. <laughs> I mean, we were born as an organization out of crisis. So thinking back to the 1980s, 
you know, when commodity prices just tanked and interest rates were soaring, that's really what got our country focused on taking a business management approach to farming um, to help farmers, you know, build that capacity for resiliency. So, you know, planning ahead, taking calculated risks, um, not risking too much. Uh, etc. So, but we realized kind of looking at the past decade, you know, that the 1980s were a long time ago. And, you know, it's kind of hard to keep that feeling in your memory as you progress. And especially as the next generation comes on board that don't have that experience of a national crisis, current situation exempted from that, of course. But I think it changes the way that you think about things and the way you think about risk when you've been through something so life-changing like that. And so I think since that time, you know, we've seen a significant decrease in adoption of practices. And even so much as the last five years, oddly enough, you would think with the industry, you know, increasing in volatility and risk and the choices have big impacts but we actually see adoption down. I don't know if it's any correlation, but we've also seen extension from government go down as well. And, you know, with academic institutions, it wasn't really there so much as it is in the States. But certainly, I kind of attribute it to business has been relatively good. There's been some bumps on the road for sure, but the road to recovery has been has been relatively short and, and not as devastating as thinking back to the 80s. So, when we look at some of the research that we've done in terms of, you know, the barriers to adopting practices, the number one response is I'm succeeding without them. Like, you know, why change when, you know, everything seems to be fine, but it's interesting on the other side of things, we say, well, why are you doing these practices? What's the motivation? And of course it's profit, but also a lot of other things are starting to come up that we've never seen before, especially in kind of the area of mental health. So we start hearing about, you know, I do it for the peace of mind. I do it because I want to reduce the uncertainty within my capacity to do so. I can't control the weather, but can I control whether I put in wind breaks or whether I put in drainage tile, et cetera, et cetera, or <laughs> pivot sprinklers and things like that. So we certainly kind of see this disconnect. And I think as well, and I think this is probably something Cedric has seen as well, we're shaped by our traditions, we're shaped by our experience. And sometimes I think as we get older, we kind of want to stay safe and kind of maintain things at status quo. Where we're really seeing the change over the past 10 years and five years especially is the application of farm business management practices is really being driven by the next generation. They're coming back from college or university or even, you know, networks and things like that with some really great ideas, new ways of doing things. And they're eager, right? They're eager to say, let's test this out on our farm. Let's see how this does. And that can sometimes create some friction between the generations. But, and we really see a different, a different attitude towards treating the farm like a business and, and in favor of treating the farm like a business. It's kind of the attitude, if there's something out there that will help me work smarter rather than harder and give me time for my family, et cetera, then there's kind of a different value system at play here. So next gen, and as well, increasingly women, we just did another study where we looked at, you know, the adoption practices, and we noticed that all of the practices had greater adoption by 
by women. And I kind of attribute that to, and, and some of the research results show that A, technology is driving it because there's, as Adam mentioned, there's technology to enable your decision-making, your record keeping, et cetera. You know, not everything is by, is by grunt anymore <laughs> or your ability to be, you know, good with, good with the welder, et cetera. But also it's driven by people realizing that, you know, people drive profit and, you know, they want to create that working atmosphere where everyone's pulling in the same direction. And that's increasingly important to the next generation, especially knowing that family and business are pretty interconnected uh, when it comes to farming and, you know, wanting the people to be around for a long time to support that vision and to be part of that vision and excited about it. Um, but also that when you get good people, you know, that drives profit as well. So I think there's there's this kind of, you know, change in the mentality towards I'm going to rely on whatever it takes to, to drive success. And if it means business practices, even though it might be an area our farm's not comfortable with, we're going to go there because if it makes life easier and makes our farm more successful, then, then why not try it? Uh, we're really hopeful for the future. Like a lot of the folks that say come to our conferences or are part of other organizations are, are kind of of the older, um, the older generation. And we're kind of looking at that as a, as a bit of a brick wall sometimes. Sometimes it's just, you know, it really is hard to teach an old dog new tricks. But when they have the great gift of being there alongside the next generation or young and, and vibrant and <laughs> And excited youth, it seems to make a real difference. And trying to make that connection between the two is what we focus on a lot. So you brought up a couple of really good points there that I'd like to explore a little bit further. And the first one is business risk management. And a lot of times as farmers in the farm community, we think as business risk management as strictly the suite of tools provided by agriculture and agri-food Canada. But there are a lot of other strategies available and tools available. You know, Cedric, I know you and I talk about this quite a bit. What are your thoughts about managing risk at its basic level beyond prescribed tools that are available? And how do we do that uh, in a way that makes sense for most? Yeah, thanks, Brad. And I mean, this, this is a tricky one. And I mean, with all the conversations we're having about BRM programming across Canada, and, and the work we've done here in, in the Atlantic, especially around cattle price insurance, has really opened my eyes to the importance of this. And, and I mean, you're right. It's one thing to be up to date with, with the programs. And that's absolutely essential. But I, I think Heather certainly backed me up on this. Uh, I know they put a lot of effort in, into, you know, base risk management on the farm and, and understanding it, right? So we can't always look to somebody else to manage the downside implications of, of our management decisions or the weather whether or not it's within our control or not. We really need to take ownership of our risk, understand the risk, outline the risk, and then build an action plan to address the risk. And, and, and we need to be proactive with it. Too often, and I think it's reflected in some of Heather's comments about how you know business planning is on the decline in Canada. Well, we've had a pretty good go. I mean, the last decade has been pretty exceptional in terms of yield, commodity pricing globally, Probably the, the the cattle sector would be, and 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 maybe the hog sector, you know, maybe having a bit of a more difficult time, uh, a little bit more cyclical. But really, we've done well over the last decade. We've done exceptionally well, and and I think these are dangerous times because it makes us complacent, and we need to really ensure that each and every day, you know, we're looking at.
that, those short-term risks. But as a family, as a, you know, as a business, as a corporation, whatever the setup is, sitting down and, and taking the time to assess your risk, at least on an annual basis, uh, identify and, and build action plans. I think it's absolutely critical. And again, I'm going to end my comment with, we can't always rely on publicly funded programs to cover off the downside risk in our operations. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia cattle producers are hosting a Calling Cattle Timing and Markets webinar on October 26th at 7 p.m., featuring Bruce Andrews of Atlantic Beef Products and Dr. Trevor Lawson of Fundy Veterinarians Limited. Please register at nscattle.ca. The seventh annual Maritime Beef Conference will be October 29th and 30th. Please visit maritimebeef.ca to register for this virtual event. The Cattle Appreciation Day will be held October 30th at Atlantic Stockyards Limited where hamburgers and ice cream bars will be provided for lunch, courtesy of the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Dairy Farmers of Nova Scotia. Please watch nscattle.ca and the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers social media for updates on this appreciation day. The Sheep Industry Conference, hosted by the Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia, is occurring November 12th to 13th at the Dubert Hospitality Centre. Registration is required in advance with the deadline of October 29th. For more information, like the agenda and the registration form, please visit nssheep.ca. And the Nova Scotia cattle producers are introducing an on-farm preconditioning pilot project later this fall, where cattle preconditioning services will be available to members on-farm. Please visit nscattle.ca forward slash preconditioning for more information. The next feeder sale at Atlantic Stockyards will be November 2nd. Regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday throughout the fall. A breeding stock sale will be held on Saturday, October 30th. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for a full sale schedule. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are pleased to announce the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Details and the application can be found at nscattle.ca. And also a reminder that there are many programs available through the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture for the 2021-2022 year, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program for a full list, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. Adam, as someone that's fairly new to the production side of agriculture, what are some of the approaches that you looked at when you first started looking at farming for managing your risks on farm? I thought it was important for my operation to try to diversify the risk a little bit on farm and make sure I had more than one uh, income stream. Honestly, that that changed. That was not really the mindset when I first started out. I it quickly changed. I brought in cattle to to graze in the summer, gave me some cash flow and, and utilize some land. And, and that's changed into now selling forage. And so that, you know, helped me with my risk. And I, also, I think staying open to my, where I'm selling lambs and how I'm selling lambs, what, what weight and trying to be flexible. I have been unsuccessful at sitting down and making a plan in January. And then 12 months later, that plan worked out. So far, it's worked out well, but it's never the plan we set out because we stayed flexible and we stayed nimble and we we kind of went with the punches and and made a lot of game time decisions that enough of them have paid off that we can keep going. And I think we'll continue to do that. And I think we're successful in doing that because we've tried to diversify a little bit and make sure that we can we have those options to go right when we need to or, or stay in the middle lane. So far, that's been that's been a way that that I've been able to kind of diversify my risk and have something to go back on when I need to. 
I really like that comment, Adam, about having a flexible plan, because that's, you know, we run into kind of a lot of kind of myths when it comes to, you know, how does the plan work? And a lot of times it's, you know, agriculture is so, you know, you never know what's going to happen one day to the next, you know, plans are just out the window as soon as you make them. But, you know, we try and and talk about planning not as predicting the future. It's not, you don't have a crystal ball, but really looking at, and this goes back to what Cedric said too, is, you know, trying to be proactive, like looking at, you know, what could happen, you know, good or bad or otherwise, and then how can I adjust my plan? And so the importance of, you know, referencing back and saying, okay, well, this was the plan. Now circumstances have changed. What's the new plan? Do we go with plan A, plan B, plan C? But either way, it's it's interesting too when you talk about, you know, planning in January because it also matters when you plan and how you plan. You know, to plan in September is a horrible idea because, you know, your stress is high, um, emotions are running high, you're probably not getting a lot of sleep, et cetera. Um, so it's probably not the best time to, you know, try and say, okay, let's sit back and try and think about, you know, where's our big vision for this thing, but finding a time where you can really remove yourself from working in the business to work on the business. And I'm just really encouraged to hear that, Adam, because we've been talking about those concepts for so long and it's just so refreshing to hear them, you know, right from you without any, without any prompting. That's exactly how you should be doing it. So I, yeah. Kudos to you. Awesome. Love it. So one of the other things that you hinged on there a little bit that I'd like to talk about more is on-farm technology, right? So we've seen a big jump in on-farm technology over the past every year, really, at the end of the day, uh, and how that's changed on-farm both data collection and farm management decisions. And one of the examples that I like to give here that's very specific to the Maritimes is we do some work with the Maritime Beef Testing Society in Japan and, and run the bull performance program there. And up until about 2012, uh, the whole testing program was based on average daily gain. Um, but in 2012, uh, we installed the grow safe feed efficiency tracking system there. And it wasn't just the ability to then calculate feed efficiency, but it absolutely changed the way that we managed the operation and the feeding program itself, because we used to just charge 89 cents a pound to gain. We never knew how, which bull was eating how much feed, but now we can actually track that. We bill it back. It's more equitable that, you know, if Adam's bull eats 4,500 pounds during the test and Cedric's only 3,600, you know, Adam pays for what his bull consumes. And it's just completely changed the way that we manage the, the test station and you look at other on-farm technologies with auto steer and you know variable rate fertilizer and and sprays and yeah how is that changing the game on farm management well i can jump at this one brad i guess it depends i think technology is it's a dangerous game if, if you're not set up with the mindset and the structures that heather had mentioned earlier about business planning and you expect technology to fill that gap for you it's not going to work. And we've seen it time and time again. Now, to your point about sectional controls on your sprayers uh, and saving on herbicide overlaps and fertil- uh, fertility placement with precision, absolutely great. But we also know there's hundreds of millions of dollars worth of yield monitoring equipment currently installed on combines and harvesters across the country that is not being actively used. 
And more often than not, uh, I ride in a lot of combines in the fall. We're getting some instantaneous yields, and it makes the, the operator feel really good to see 200 bushels pop up on the screen a couple times a day. But they're not actually recording the field boundary where they're only getting 80 bushels of corn. And yet we're still managing it the same way. So if we don't bring a management mindset to the table and then allow technology to do that job better, then we're really just spending money to collect numbers that disappear into the cloud and doesn't really do us much good. Yeah, I mean, you need to decide what information is important to you. Um, what information do you need to make better decisions? You can get information on, on everything and anything, and maybe none of it is what you actually need. You know, a lot of times we're, you know, we're still at the point of convincing farmers or teaching farmers, you know, how to use Excel effectively. But, you know, there's even technology when it comes to farm business management. There's you know, accounting programs that, you know, with a click of a button, you've got real-time dashboard data that says, this is your cash flow for the next month. What are you going to do about it? And so I think in agriculture, really deciding on, you know, what information you want and then making sure that that information is, is good and accurate and timely so that you can make those decisions. You know, a lot of times you say, all right, well, we'll look at our financials at the end of the year. Okay, well, that's great, but the year's done. Like, what if you did that as a start six months into the year? So you could actually use that information to adjust your strategy or, you know, quarterly and involved other people in, in that kind of planning, et cetera. So I think, yeah, technology is a slippery slope because it's that, you know, exciting, you know, sexy side of farming. We're like, oh my God, it's shiny and new and and isn't this great, but if you're sat there not using it to its full capacity or it provides information that you don't actually need to make the decisions you need to make, then it can kind of just become all, all muddled and you think, oh my God, there's just too much to think about. Therefore, I'm out. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to rely on my gut from now on. So oftentimes we talk about technology, you know, alleviating some of the difficulties handled by by people picking or planting or whatnot but something that technology will never replace is is the manager's decision making capacity and capacity to lead people you can't get a machine to do that so i think that's where you know we need to focus on honing in and harnessing those skills and then of course supporting that with the appropriate technology the technology on my firm that something that I, I struggle with I've been trying to hone in on the last years is making sure that I'm spending the time recording the information that the technology has that, that I'm actually going to use. I, I can pull all kinds of numbers and, and it takes time and, and that time would be very valuable somewhere else. I can collect data that's not going to make me any more money or save me any more money, but just because I have that number in a spreadsheet, it's not going to get me anywhere. So I know in my operation, Make sure that we're, we're collecting the data that's going to help us make decisions and progress us forward. And, and those, some of those numbers have changed in, in what I'm looking at because there's a lot of numbers that, that aren't going to change in what I'm doing. And I think the technology, the other thing is that it gives you some numbers you don't want to look at, especially when you're looking at a performance. Like, there's been some sobering moments where you, you start looking at something and, and that number is nowhere near what you thought it was. And some of those numbers, they've thrown me forward. 
there's a lot of assumptions that you don't, I don't need to make because I have a number in front of me. And sometimes it's hard to stick true to those numbers. I've struggled with that, especially on when it comes to call animals, let's say, or uh, what have you. I know technology is something I, I use a lot and I, I lean on. I don't know if I might lean on too much. One comment, I guess, to follow up on that, something that I'm putting a lot more focus on these days, and I think we're all going to have to, is the demand from the value chain for data. So it's one thing to collect information to help us be better managers, but I think in agriculture, we need to be very aware of the fact that our value chain is currently demanding records and will increasingly demand additional records. And so maintaining public trust and uh, and assurance throughout the food chain is becoming so critical that you know, I think growers need to be need to be prepared for this day when, you know, collecting data is not is not an option. It's not a luxury. It is a day to day task, and we need to prepare ourselves. You know, based on the previous comments, you know, hats off to Adam for the work that he's doing and and really embracing that and getting it done. But there's a lot of others that need to follow his lead and and be prepared for this. Something that I I find interest with this is trying to figure out the numbers that I'm going to want to see in five years. What are those metrics? What am I going to be looking at in the operation in five years that maybe aren't important to me today or that I'm not even thinking about recording? Whether that was the sheep, whether that be nutrient management on the fields, that kind of historic data, like what, what am I going to want to be looking at in five years? And this is something I, I don't know, I think about, I find interesting. Then, it, you know, you can very quickly argue to yourself that I should be recording every little piece of data, but then I'm going to have no time to go feed sheep if I'm recording every time it rains out or every time it, a ewe doesn't eat as much ration as she should, what have you. I, that's something I, I find interesting in the, in the data management. What am I going to be looking at personally as an operation five years? And like Cedric said, what is the industry going to be requesting or demanding of us in five years? And, and are they going to want previous information from us? Yeah, I just, I find that interesting how that coming full cycle kind of back to Heather's comments earlier about planning the risk, right? And that, so Adam, you're taking a look out five years and saying, what data do I need? And, and to me, that, that comes right back to, to understanding the basis of, of business planning, which is really to, to manage that long-term risk. So again, hats off to you for, for taking that long-term view. And I think it just, again, emphasizes the need to stop every once in a while and think strategically about our businesses. Every once in a while, you got to stop working in the business and you got to take a look at how you can work on your business. Yeah, I think that leads me very nicely into kind of the next discussion point is the fact that or the theory or the practice that business planning is a process, not a destination. Um, you know, even with a couple of the groups that we're working with, you know, we're doing five-year business strategies and annual business plans and you know, I think it's really only maybe the last 10 years that there's even a lot of firms that I see that are putting together even annual budgets and annual work plans. And is that something that I'm seeing that we're all seeing? Are there enough folks focusing on business planning as a process and going back and evaluating their annual performance? Or is it still just, you know, as Heather, you said, I get my financial statement at the end of the year and then I figure out what went wrong and what went right and then just do what I was going to do next year anyway. Here's the market report for the weekend at October 15th, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. 
In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was 2.21 per kilogram, down 1.2 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 1.2 cents as well from last week to a price of 2.11 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was 2.36 per kilogram, up 4.4 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle at Atlantic Beef Products sold for 2.63 on the rail, flat from last week. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.53, moving up a cent from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was 2.67, down seven cents from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stock air sold for 72 cents a pound, a downward change of eight cents from last week. While rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.46, down nine cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 67 cents, down seven cents from last week. And 71 cents in Quebec, moving down one cent. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards averaged $81, up a dollar. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $169, down $11 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were up three cents to a price of $1.26 per pound, and calves in Quebec were $1.11, an increase of one cent per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumber lamb is $10.50 per kilogram, and mutton sits at $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 217 per pound at 57 pounds, ranging from 215 to 220. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average 271 per pound at 58 pounds, ranging from $1.80 to 310. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average 230 per pound at 74 pounds, ranging from 215 to 245. In Ontario, those same 65 to 79 pound lambs average 249 at 71 pounds ranging from $2 to 305. Use at Atlantic Stockyards range from 120 to $230, averaging $168. And Ontario use average $1.90 at 143 pounds and range from $1.2 and a half to 235. Make sure you check your association's websites for additional pricing information. <laughs> That's a good way of summing it up. I mean, to be fair, we, we see it all over the map. Research shows that over the past five years, we've decreased. So those farmers, so we basically, we don't see, do you have a business plan? Yes or no. It's kind of one of those, you know, spectrums of, I don't have it. I don't want it. I don't need it to, yes, I have it. And we review it, you know, at least on an annual basis to reference for decision-making. So of, of those folks that, yes, we have it and we use it and follow it, it was 26% five years ago, it's 21% now. So that's actually decreasing. I think a lot of it comes from misunderstandings or assumptions around, like, I'm really glad, Brad, that you pointed out there's strategic planning and then there's, you know, your business planning or even on top of that operational planning, but really understanding that you know, the strategy is at this 30,000 foot level of, you know, where are we going? Like, ultimately, what's our vision? Five years is a really good time frame, three years, um, somewhere in between then. But then, of course, your business plan is, okay, and, and how am I going to progress towards that this year? So, you know, what are the priorities this year? What are the key actionables we're going to do? But then, of course, it does come down to the nuts and bolts of operational planning. So what does that mean this week, this day, et cetera? And really understanding the interplay between those pieces. And I think that's where a lot of uh, the comments come. You know, I can't plan. You can't predict tomorrow. You know, it's just out the window. It's like, well, it depends what kind of planning we're talking about, because if it's strategic planning, then, you know, you're not on the ground level, you're at a 30,000 foot up. If it's business planning, you're, you know, say 10,000 feet up or 5,000 feet. So 
it's all about that perspective. And I think like, I really applaud you for, for the job you're doing there, Brad, because I think that's a, a fundamental, you know, misunderstanding that, that we need to help kind of show the path forward of how you can make this happen on the farm. It's one thing to say, do it. Um, but it's another thing to kind of show and empower and, and hold hands a little bit along the way. And I think it really does come from finding those mechanisms to make those connections more apparent. So, you know, okay, we're having our weekly operational meeting and we're concentrating on these three priority areas in the business plan or whatever, or having a quarterly meeting where you review the business plan and the business plan alone and your annual meeting where you review the strategic plan and strategic plan alone. Something that we see really successful is is having like a business focused meetings mechanism. So maybe start with an annual meeting, but then, you know, kind of turn it up a notch as you get comfortable with more, more frequent, but again, not overbearing meetings, right? Like you can't have a business meeting every month and expect, you know, you're going to get everything operational done. Everything kind of comes in balance. So it's, you know, let's start with, okay, let's have an annual meeting where we can get all our stakeholders together. You know, we can get the family together that's not necessarily working or living on the farm, get them excited about what we're doing, appreciating and understanding what we're doing. And then, okay, now what do we need to do for the rest of the year to kind of maintain that momentum and reporting function? Because that all comes down to accountability. And I think the first thing, and we hear this, the first thing to go is the business management practices when stress runs high. <laughs> it's, you know, where's the fires that need to be put out and just running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And everyone's like that. It's not just farmers. I mean, me, myself, if I didn't have my monthly reports to do and my quarterly reports, I would just, you know, do whatever every day. But recognizing the greater good and, and the kind of long-term success of constantly aiming for that target up in the sky. Yeah, it's something that we're, we're definitely trying to do, but it's, it's not easy. But like I say, you know, as we see, you know, fresh open minds coming into the industry, um, we're able to have those conversations more readily. So one of the things, Cedric, you yeah. and I talk about almost on every phone call three times a week that we have is, you know, building your business advisory team around you and recognizing that the importance of hiring in certain skill sets that either you or your internal management team don't have. And I know you've even on a personal level gone into a peer advisory group for yourself. How can we work within our networks and within some of those very skilled experts to enhance our business management practices? You know, picking up on some of Heather's comments, like I'm so intrigued these days around the social sciences that support practice adoption on the farm. And, you know, I think we've taken a very, very simplistic view of this in the past, right? Uh, build it, they will come. But we, we see it every day. There's all kinds of practices, BMPs in the business or agronomy or well, it doesn't matter what it is, that have been proven to make growers more profitable and they're not being adopted. And I think what this entry of the social science into our extension programs is telling us is that some growers are systems-based thinkers and they can work their way through these complex processes, but a lot of them aren't. It, it doesn't matter if you're a systems-based thinker or not. All these factors that we've talked about today are absolutely critical for every farm. So if you can't do it on your own, it's absolutely critical to build that team around you that, that can help you do it. 
I'll be the first to admit, I'm not great at keeping records. I'm more of a work on my in my business kind of guy than, a, than an on. But if I didn't have the people around me to help keep me focused, you know, and Heather alluded to it too, you know, I'd, I'd just be off the rails. And, and part of that is trust, right? You've got to be willing to share the reins for the long-term good of the business, like Adam was talking about, right? We're taking long-term view. I've got strengths. I've got weaknesses. Focus on those strengths. Leverage them and fill your weaknesses with people that can get that job done better. Because if you don't, one thing that's going to be very, very constant in this business is risk is going to continue to grow, right? Commodity risk, weather risk, climate risk, all of it's coming. So we really, really do need to prepare ourselves to hit that head on and, and have the right people around us to help persevere through. I know of my operation that I got a lot of contact lists on my phone and I'm someone that's always struggled with asking for help. And in the last four years, that's something that's changed, whether it be, you know, calling my feed guy or, you know, calling nutritionist to get a ration adjusted or, you know, I, I call my sheep shearer a lot and ask random questions because, you know, he's in and out of a lot of barns. He, he gives me another phone number sometimes to, to talk to, or I don't know if I'd be at this point without the people around me, whether it be the neighbor or, you know, other professionals to lean on. Uh, I know for me that my vet has, has helped me a lot in the business management side of it, just allowing me to slow down and look at options on, on nutrition and animal health that I, I can eat up a lot of cash in a hurry on the sick sheep that, that couldn't, they can still bring in some money, but I'm not optimizing it. So I know for my farm, leaning on all these different people and, and uh, not being afraid to ask questions and, and admit to, you know, often people you look up to that, that, that you're failing at something or allowing people to tell you that you're failing at something. And, uh, I've come to enjoy seeking out that help and, and, and trying to open new doors and new relationships with people to talk to on all sides of the business. I find that really encouraging. That's the kind of mindset that we, we love to see and we want to see. And, and something that Cedric was talking about just kind of reminded me of, you know, maybe Adam's the exception here, but, you know, in agriculture, sometimes like we have this, this leadership program that we run and sometimes you get to having these conversations with producers and it's kind of like, given all the stress, given all the struggle, you know, why, why are you doing this? And it's because I'm expected to, you know, my family expects me to do this, but, you know, I think it's important, not just, you know, for yourself, but for everyone on your team, Oftentimes we just get slotted into these positions because there's a gap to fill and there's a person that shows up and, and they can just fill that gap um, by default. But really looking at it from a business perspective, it's, you know, designing your team, designing the people around you. And that starts with focusing on yourself. What is it that you want? What does being successful look like to you? And what is your passion and how are you going to feed your passion, you know, through your work? numbers aren't your thing, that's totally cool. Um, but recognizing it's an important part of the business, you know, how are you going to fill that gap? And there's lots of different ways. I mean, there's, there's people in your family or on your team you can look to, but also outsiders as well. So there's kind of options for every which way. But I think if we don't start with ourselves and, you know, what are we really passionate about um, and how can we feed that passion and then extending that courtesy to the rest of our team and, and saying, let's, 
let's take a look at building those, those teams by design rather than just default daughter-in-law's bookkeeper, you know, mom's this, dad's that, brother's this or whatever. Really taking the time to, like Cedric said, be proactive and plan with purpose. So folks, we're getting a little close to, to wrapping up here. So just a couple of more points I, I'd like to reflect on is, you know, what, are, what would be some words of encouragement for you folks to, to have people at least look at, you know, their own fire management practices and, you know, maybe they're not bad, maybe they're not good, but at least, you know, how do we self-evaluate? Where do people get started and how should they get started? Honestly, there's there's a lot of tools out there for, you know, assessing your business practices. There's Dick Whitman's Fire Management Proficiency Test. There's, I think in Nova Scotia, you're using Taking Stock. Um, in other provinces, they're using Growing Your Farm Profits or Planning for Success. Um, there's online versions as well. So you could even, you know, start as simply as, okay, in the privacy of my own office or home, you know, how, how am I doing over here, you know, in, in kind of a safe private setting? And I think, you know, one of two things happens. In one instance, you're like, holy cow, there's this whole other side of farming that I didn't really realize how it worked and what it does. And, you know, these are some of the things I can start doing. And, you know, it can be small things like we have um, our research shows, you know, the, the practices of the top farmers across Canada. So even starting with one of those practices, like using advisors, having a written business plan, um, dedicated to, to lifelong learning, et cetera, you know, is a step in the right direction. The other thing that that tends to happen is, a lot of the stuff you're doing, but you haven't actually documented it and, and recognized and appreciated that you are. And so you're kind of going through and you're like, well, shoot, I'm actually doing better than I thought. It's like going to the doctor and they're like, yeah, actually you're good. Like, you know, or let's just work on this one little thing rather than this catastrophic, oh my God, like, you know, life is ending as we know it. So I see it as more of an encouraging thing. So I, I would start with assess against what farm operating like a business looks like. And I think that's a really good starting point. And you can even encourage other people on your on your farm team or in your family to do it. And that's a really good conversation starter. You talked about words of encouragement. I think my encouragement is that with 20% of producers adopting these practices, we have only like so much to gain. Just untapped potential that I talk about is super exciting and I can't wait to see where it takes us. And I think encouragement is, is Adam Steve's. <laughs> like, I think, you know, I hear you talking about the way you manage your farm and make decisions. And I'm, I'm so encouraged by that. So follow Adam's lead. Yeah. I don't know about following my lead. I'm doing the best I can, but for me, it was important to find whether it be close to home or far away from home, find operations that, that you admire and, and you strive to, to be like and, and then explore that, ask questions, and then, you know, be real harsh. I, I'm, I'm a good self-critic. I go to sleep every night thinking that I didn't work hard enough and that everything's going to fail. And I wake up every morning and, and go and fix everything I messed up the day before. And that's, I think, what keeps me trying to succeed and, and being harsh on myself and making sure that everything's working, that we're moving forward and, and looking at those numbers honestly, be able to wake up next morning and, and make it better. And I, and I get a lot of encouragement from just surrounding myself with, with uh, like-minded people and successful people. And, and whether it be in ag or outside ag, um, you know, there's quite a few people I call that wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between a, a sow and a, and a boar, but 
they know their way around business. They know the way around making business decisions. And sometimes that non-ag view of the business is really helpful. Uh, it kind of gets you out of some of the, the ag ruts that uh, I think that, that the industry is definitely stuck in. But uh, yeah, so I think having lots of people to talk to, I think that's, I think that's the best encouragement you can have. And that's, that helps me. I guess ditto. I, I was going to say, you know, similar things to, to Adam and, and that that's developing that peer network, right? Having those not necessarily like-minded people, right? Cause we all bring different, you know, unique skills to, to a table and a peer group and, you know, having a diverse, you know, group of folks around you to, to learn on and, and get new ideas is, is critical. I found that through the young farmer networks across Canada and some of my very best friends are the folks that I met there and we still do business together. And when I've got a question, if I need a sounding board, that's where I go. And I think back to, to Heather's comments earlier, her closing comments about the tools, right? Using those tools within a peer network to self-evaluate or, you know, to, to, to do group benchmarking and evaluate yourself against your peers, absolutely critical. But it all comes down to having those people that you can lean on in good times and in bad times, because guaranteed you're going to have both. If any of our listeners are looking to get a hold of you or or find out more about you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so for me, um, I'm on social media at MS Heather Watson, or our organization um, is on social media too, Farm Management Canada at fmc.gac. Um, that's also our, our web address. As well, we have a, a National Farm Business Management Resource Center at takeanewapproach.ca, so all of our contact information is, is all over everything we do. So feel free to, to reach out personally to myself at any time. Um, we can show you what's out there in terms of learning opportunities as well as tools available. We, we, we would be happy to do that. Catch me anytime at www.mcleodagronomics.com. Yeah, I, social media for me, uh, Adam Steves, uh, I kind of try to share everything I'm doing on there. And I always like to talk sheep and forges and, if anyone wants to talk with annuals and sheep, I, uh, I always like that. Excellent. Well, with that, folks, again, thank you very much for your time and looking forward to talking to you hopefully again some other time. Thanks so much, Brad. Awesome. It's been great. Thanks, yeah, thanks, Brad. It was a good time. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.